Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is a special edition of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you a special edition on the Me Too movement. Here's your host, Miss Tress. Thanks, Max. Welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. I'm Miss Tress. I'm here today with Doc Cinnamon, a social scientist who is, eh, not really vanilla, but kinda. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Our listeners have been writing in and asking, what is the Kinky Cast's position on the Me Too movement and the political environment today, and all of the implications that the Me Too movement has on it. So Doc Cinnamon and I are here today to talk about it. I'm going to tell you my Me Too story. Uh, As a dominant female in the Nashville scene, there are a lot of people who would look at me and not believe that at any time had anybody ever taken advantage of me. But as so many of us know, that's not the case. Outward appearances do not reflect our history. So I'm going to start with telling you that my first sexual assault occurred when I was five years old. That person was able to continue assaulting me until I was about 13. At that time, I told some adults in my life and they did not believe me. So I told some more adults until finally someone did believe me. Even though most of the people in my life, most of the adults who knew, and I mean most, there were only a few, the adults who knew, knew that it was true. Yet they covered it up. They gave that person a pass And then when I was 14, I was assaulted again. I was riding my bike down the street on my way to my grandmother's house and a a car pulled up next to me with two men in it and they literally reached out and honked my boob and laughed hysterically and drove away. And I got to my grandparents' house. I told my uncles. They didn't believe me. And at that point, I was pretty sure that nobody was ever going to believe me. I was a party girl in high school and after, and I can't even count on all my fingers and toes the numbers of times that I was taken advantage of sexually. Into my 20s, through my marriage, With my first husband, my first husband's boss, Um, I mean, it just happened over and over and over, and I, I stopped telling anybody anything because nobody believed me anyway. Fast forward to having a child and being a single parent and seeing the world a little bit differently. 
and having to be strong because I was a single mom and growing in other aspects of my life to being at a local dungeon, being firmly rooted and well-respected in the community as a femdom and having male dominance attempt in a lot of different ways, making statements or comments just to see what my reaction would be to see if they could go a little farther. Could they go a little farther? And not allowing it, but still having that feeling of being abused because they were trying. And why do I have a target on me? Why would they try? There was one person in particular, one male dom, who really touted himself in the community as a whore, a slut, a male slut, a male whore. And he would in public, in a large group of people, he would always try to hug or kiss or, you know, some something like that. So to get really close and physical with any woman. And a lot of women put up with it and you could see them just go stiff, completely bored stiff. And you could see their face change and you could see them hold their breath. You could see them close their eyes as he would do whatever it was he did. And it was obvious that his advances weren't wanted. And he would literally pawn it off. He would go on FetLife or, you know, whatever, whatever message board we were on at that time and say how he was so virile and all these women were so, they had to be so careful around him because of his masculinity and virility. And, and he was so sexual and, and women just had to be so careful around him. And there were so many women whose husbands or boyfriends or dominants or whoever, would later go to him and say, don't touch my wife, stop touching my girlfriend, please just back off, don't do it again. And then again, he would post about how all these men were so sexually insecure around him that he was such a threat to them that it was just gross. And he would, when he would come to me, I would put my arm out like to shake his hand. I would put my arm out and keep my elbow stiff so that I was keeping him at arm's length. And the first time that I did that, he took my hand and instead of shaking it, he brought it up to his mouth and kissed my hand. And I was shocked and we were in public and I didn't want to make a scene because any time in the past that I'd made a scene, people told me that I overreacted and I was making a scene and I was the one embarrassed. So I, I just pulled away and the next time I pulled my hand away before he could get his lips to it. And it didn't stop him, but he would laugh and say, yeah, I, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of a powerful sexual being. So gross. So he didn't actually stop trying to kiss my hand until my husband at the time went to him privately and threatened him within an inch of his life that if he ever, ever touched me again, he 
I don't know what. But after that, he would always make snide comments to me, always look at me. And one time he did say to me, I I know that, you know, I'm a very powerful sexual being. Well, that's really not the case. He's just a creep and everybody knows it. So that was the, the last real, um, sexual assault that, uh, that I'm going to talk about. Thank you for sharing your story. And you bring up very many different points that I think that need to be addressed. Children need to be heard and we need to listen to them and we need to intervene on their part. And that's the first and foremost. So again, thank you for sharing. Thank you. And I think with everything going on with Christine Blasey Ford and Judge Kavanaugh and the whole Me Too movement, there's a lot of question about why didn't she come forward sooner? Why didn't she tell somebody sooner? Why didn't she, why did she wait until now? Well, chances are she did tell someone down the line, but it wasn't a person of authority. Right. She probably told her girlfriends. She may have told her parents. She may have done a whole bunch of things, but never reported it to the authorities. And we have to get past that fear for both men and women. Men can be raped. They can be raped by women. They can be raped by men, but men won't report. And now we've got women who will not report either because they're afraid. We need to come together and push past this fear. There is quite a long history of people not coming forward immediately. And I can tell you that when I was a child, I was told repeatedly, no one will believe you. No one will listen to you. I'm the adult. I'm the person they'll listen to. I'm the person they'll believe. And that is exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a very, very powerful and one of the strategies that a predator will use. And what we are doing as a nation, the conservatives specifically, when they, like Trump, went on, went to a, a rally and mocked her that she couldn't remember the place. She couldn't remember the time. She couldn't remember how she got there. Well, the truth of the matter is she can remember all that. And that was all part of her testimony. However, of the hundreds of times that I was sexually assaulted in my own home, I can tell you how old I was. I can tell you what room of the house I was in. But I can't tell you the dates. I can't tell you what happened that day before it happened. I can't, I can't tell you all the details, but I sure remember that happening. It's a traumatic event, and that is how our brains are wired to work. We remember that trauma. And all the years that pass, it's not because we don't want to tell somebody. It's not because we don't want that person to be held accountable. It's because we're afraid. We're afraid to tell the truth because we get blamed. 
We had too much to drink. We shouldn't have been wearing the clothes we were wearing. We shouldn't have been out by ourselves. We shouldn't have been out after dark. We should have had a friend with us. We shouldn't have smoked weed. We shouldn't have whatever it was, whatever it was. It is always comes back to being our fault, even by people who mean well, even from people who believe us. Well, how many beers did you have? Well, how many drinks did you have? Well, who was with you? How late did you stay? Why did you stay at the party so late? Why did you go to that party? If somebody who had abused you in the past or assaulted you in the past was at that party, why did you go back? We have a long history in this nation of blaming the victim. One of the ways I get students to push past all of that is they need to go out and they need to be othered. They need to feel what other people feel and make themselves vulnerable, not in in dangerous ways, but just little ways. So we can start to build some empathy between us. So when people do come and do have stories to share, that we can be open to hearing them and feeling what they feel so we can start to fix all of this. I've had some very powerful stories come out of that assignment where young men are like, well, wow, I, I never knew that, you know, I could feel that way. And if that's the way, you know, my sister or my mother or my, my aunts or my nieces feel, I don't want them to ever feel that way. But we have to come together. And I think that with the Me Too movement, that gives us one avenue to start to pull together and hear everyone's story and try to shift the responsibility from the victim to putting the focus on the people who perpetuate. And the boys club. Oh, that whole ideology of boys will be boys. Yeah, we had a great conversation about that the other day in class. Well, they have a vested interest in not holding each other accountable. Where do you think we can go from here to help those men, those, forgive me, old, white, rich men? How do we hold them accountable? How do we get them to see in the Black Lives Matter movement? A big part of that is getting white people to help stand up because other white people are not going to listen. They're only going to listen to other white people. We have to have men, wealthy white men. We have to get those men on our side in order to really push this movement forward. And it's sad to say that. It's terrible to say that, but it is the truth. Well, one thing that's happening here in Nashville, which I am very pleased in seeing is that a lot of small grassroots organizations are actually starting to connect with each other and they are starting to, you know, have sit-ins and they are petitioning the, the local officials and the, you know, people who are running for Senate in November. So we, there is movement and it's, it's slow, but it's growing. And I think the closer these elections get, the stronger and the more vocal these groups will become. 
But the average person needs to be an activist. The average person can't just sit on the couch and watch these political ads and not do anything. They need to go out. They need to get registered. They need to vote. They need to become educated on these different policies. They need to want to care. And they need to start connecting within their own communities with other like-minded individuals. Can we have a successful Me Too movement without a blue wave? I don't think Me Too is necessarily a partisan issue. I I think that, you know, Me Too can cover both sides of that aisle, and it needs to. I agree. However... Just like the Black Lives Matter movement, the government, our government, the people in power have a vested interest in keeping us divided. Yes, they do have a vested interest. And this is why people have to look past these divisions. And again, watching these different groups come together gives me kind of a a glimmer of hope because Moderate left groups have always been so splintered because they're focused on only race or only class or only gender or only sexuality. But these groups are now starting to pull together and understanding that, you know, in order to kind of push back against this red wave that we have, there is power in numbers. And I think the more educated we can become, the more we can have civil discussions about the root problems and the fact that we all need to pull together to fix all of this. It seems like the Republicans, male or female, have taken a side in the Me Too movement because of Judge Kavanaugh. What do you think about women who obviously have either themselves been assaulted? I mean, just based on the sheer numbers of people in the United States, the, the, the sheer numbers of women who have been assaulted, some of those Republican women have to have been assaulted at some time in their life. They have to have been a victim of sexual assault. What do you think about those women who don't buy the Me Too movement, who don't believe in it, who aren't for it, who really are against it? What, what is, what's that all about? A lot of it, I think, is the way that we socialize our girls, that, you know, if something does happen, if we are sexually abused, somehow it becomes our fault, and they've probably bought into that. So if they were, they probably blame themselves. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I shouldn't have wore that dress. I shouldn't have had that beer. I shouldn't have. And again, it's it goes right back to where how they were treated as children is going to influence how they develop. And, you know, I'm all about personal responsibility. Hey, we all need to be personally responsible. But there is something with the way that some people are raised that their level of responsibility trumps everybody else's actions around them. And they think that, I don't want to call it a control issue, but some people will be victimized, but they will never allow themselves to recognize that. 
And so they will internalize that victimization and blame only themselves. Because again, one of the strongest ideologies we've got in this country is, well, boys will be boys. I mean, we heard it years ago when that varsity football team sodomized the younger players with a broomstick. And everybody was just like, oh, boys will be boys. No, we need to teach our boys that there are boundaries. It's not cool to hurt other people. And I don't know where they got those messages. Well, I do know where they got those messages. We as parents, we as educators, need to make sure that we stop those messages. Boys will be boys. It's just them giving each other a pass. It's just the boys club giving each other a pass. I agree. I see a lot of messages on Facebook, on other places. I see a lot of people that are worried. A lot of, of, it seems to me, women who have sons, Republican women who have sons, who are very concerned that their son is going to be falsely accused and that that could ruin his life. The fact of the matter is, very few people are crying wolf. The amount of scrutiny and the amount of blame and the amount of shame that goes with coming forward with an allegation is so huge. No one would wish that upon themselves. The false allegation is really not anything to worry about. And those same people are not also worried that their sons are going to be falsely accused of murder. They're also not worried that their sons are going to be falsely accused of a hit and run or a burglary. Well, a lot of it is, again, you know, we didn't have a Blue Lives Matter or a White Lives Matter or an All Lives Matter until we had a Black Lives Matter. So, you know, inevitably with the Me Too movement, you know, the other side is going to push back and they, they are now pushing back and using that. Well, what if, what if somebody is falsely accused? Okay. Well, what if they are? It goes to trial. And when it comes to Kavanaugh, he is going to be, well, has been now appointed a Supreme Court justice. This is very different. This was his job interview. It wasn't a trial. It was his job interview, and it was a woman who couldn't take it any longer. She could not see him placed as a Supreme Court justice, knowing what he had done. A Supreme Court justice in the United States should be beyond reproach. And he is not, and that is why she came forward. I am still hopeful that people will understand and start to see the group dynamics, the power structure for what it is, and they will organize and they will become educated and they will get registered and they will vote in this coming election. Voting is the key. Which doesn't take his Supreme Court justice seat away 
but it will give people more representation in Washington. And there are ways of impeaching Supreme Court justices, presidents, vice presidents. But the only way we're going to get that done is if people band together and start becoming more politically active and stop listening to things on Facebook. You know, as much as I love social media and, you know, I like to watch those funny cat videos, but damage is being done because many people are using those memes and the articles from the blogs as gospel to, you know, really divide this population, the U.S. population, the United States population. And let's face it, folks, it is so much easier to control divided populations than a united population. Absolutely. They have a vested interest in keeping us divided. So we have to work together to become more united than ever. What about, I hear a lot of people saying things like, well, I'm not political. I, I'm not political. I don't get involved in that. I don't want to talk about it. Now I'm going to ask you, Doc Cinnamon, in a minute, I'm going to ask you for your um, opinion about that. But I'm going to say that it's, it's a lot of privilege. There's a lot of privilege in saying that I'm not political. I don't get involved in that. We were all taught as children and young adults and growing up, we were all taught that there are two things that you don't talk about. You don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics. And sadly, that keeps us divided because I don't know about you and you don't know about me if we don't talk about the things that make us unique and different. I wish that instead of being told not to talk about things, I wish we had all been taught how to talk about them civilly, how to have a civil, respectful conversation with a person who doesn't believe the same way you do. I don't want to live in an echo box. We don't exist in echo boxes. I cannot spend my whole life, well, I can, I can spend my whole life with people who all agree with me. And I will learn nothing from hearing a bunch of parrot heads say, yes, 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 to me. I want to know what makes you different. I want to know why you believe the way you believe. I want to know why you think the way you think. And I want to be able to have that conversation with you so that I can understand your point. It may not ever change my mind about something, but it may make me think differently about something. So, Doc Cinnamon, let's talk about that privilege. Let's talk about the privilege of saying and feeling and having that belief that I'm not political. People who say they're not political also don't believe that they are privileged. And everyone is privileged. Everyone is disadvantaged. But in different ways. You know, I can't imagine being a young person living in this mess 
today. And I have true empathy for, you know, my 25 and younger crowd because they don't know anything different than what is happening now with everyone, you know, on Facebook and everyone screaming back and forth. They're not taught to have a conversation. They can have a text message, 150 or 180 characters, but they don't know how to have a face-to-face conversation, let alone a face-to-face conversation around issues that make them uncomfortable, that might prove that they're wrong, or that, you know, the other person is on the other side of the fence. And we have to get back to being able to have just the basic conversations and stop being afraid that we're going to say something wrong. They're not going to like us, or they might prove me wrong. Everybody we meet has something in them that we don't know. And we all have things that we know that other people don't know. We need to be able to, again, stand back, have some conversations, not worry about being wrong, and just be open. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also want to remind everybody the biggest privilege is never having to acknowledge that privilege. It's taken for granted. Lots of people can't afford not to be political. Very true. And even for the people who think that they're not political, they are political. If you don't vote, that's still a vote. If you don't make a choice, that's still a choice. And we have to, again, remind people of those things. Because what happens in this country affects everyone, maybe not directly, but certainly indirectly in one way or another. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts on the Me Too movement? Well, it's giving me a glimmer of hope. And I'm very hopeful that that more, more groups will come together that may have not ever thought of, you know, developing coalitions. And as those coalitions start to form and the alliances start to form, maybe we can kind of turn this boat, maybe not completely around, but at least steer it towards the safety waters. Thank you. So I want to finish with a final thought, and that is, if you are a survivor, I believe you. We believe you. There are people who will believe you, who will support you and lift you up and help you. I am humbled by the number of women who have come forward over the past few weeks, months, years. I am so thankful to all of you for being brave and being strong and sharing 
some of your deepest, darkest pain. We can be better. We can do better. And in this, our very special, sex-positive, wonderful community, we can have the support that we need. We just have to reach out and trust that the person next to us or the person listening to us is going to be supportive. And men, please support us. Please don't make jokes and spout off because when you do, there is a woman listening, a woman who you don't know has been sexually assaulted and she hears you and she trusts you that much less. Please help us end the rape culture and we can only do it with your help. I want to thank Woody. Thank you for allowing us back on your show. We love coming and being a part. You have been listening to a special edition of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. 